This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today on the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Dick Storm. Dick has been in broadcasting for many, many years. He owned his own radio station. He was a news director. He's won awards in that world. Uh, He hosts a Saturday and Sunday morning classic country music oldies show. Uh, And actually just right here, I will play you guys an, uh, an example of what his typical intro might sound like. And then we'll actually close the podcast with what a typical closing to his radio show might sound like. So I enjoyed this. Here's the little snapshot of what his intro sounds like. And then we'll dive into the podcast. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Grab those fiddles and steels. It's the Eagle Country Hall of Fame. Good morning, I'm Dick Storm. I'm host of the Eagle Country Hall of Fame and I'm ready for a November walk down memory lane. We do this every Saturday and Sunday morning at 105.7 Eagle Country, hopefully to bring back a pleasant country memory. It's also our attempt to keep traditional country music alive. I hope that you'll join me for the next two hours of fun as we play the oldies. Our double plays today will be from Porter Wagner, Conway Twitty, and Miss Leona Williams. We'll open up with Bobby Bear. That's how I got to Memphis. Dick, I really appreciate you coming in today. Hey, I've been looking forward to this after you uh, called me the other day. I said, when you, I don't know, I'm not sure why you're interested in talking with me, but we'll see where we go. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about that on the way over here is what, are we going to talk about right and i don't i don't try to plan it out too much but i really like to hear the history of you uh and we talked about broadcasting we talked about country music i kind of like to hear the whole story and starting at the beginning and that might be cliche but i like to hear the beginning of where your radio and broadcast world started and then we'll eventually get into the country music side of things too so what was the beginning for you well first of all i was born blind i was born in toivola michigan i was born blind and I had two surgeries on my eyes before I was five, so then I did have some sight. But I was told by the doctors at Ann Arbor Hospital that I would never go to a public school. At that time, radio became very uh, important to me. My father was a guitar player, and he liked country music. and My mother liked country music, and that's what they had on the radio all the time. So I got to identify with all the country radio stations that we could get, particularly locally, out of Duluth or out of the area here. And of course, back then, AM signals carried a whole lot farther than they do now because of atmospheric conditions and so on. 
So I got to listen to the stations in Duluth all the time. WREX, for instance, was one of my favorite stations. and That doesn't even exist anymore. But anyway, uh, so I, I got to like country music from that point on. And although uh, I never heard my father play guitar, I always thought to myself, I am going to learn to play sometime. So one of my neighbors uh, gave, us, gave me a guitar when I was in the eighth grade. That's after I'd gotten to the Michigan School for the Blind in Lansing and transitioned into school in Houghton High School, and I graduated from Houghton. But anyway, that's where I got my first guitar, and I taught myself chords. And then my sister met a guy who she later married who was a very good guitar player, and he, he kind of gave me the bug to continue playing. Hmm. So that's, but all this time I was interested in country music and I'd listened to all the DJs. Randy Blake at WJJD in Chicago was my favorite DJ at that time. And I would try to mimic him. I would, uh, I would stand on the, the bed uh, with the, my hands like the microphone and <laughs> pretend I was Randy Blake introducing records and talking about country music. Do you remember what you appreciate about Randy Blake or why did he stand out? Because he played the kind of music I liked, for one thing, and he seemed like he was a really nice guy. Okay. Uh, you know, I liked his air personality. Oh. Uh, and the problem with WJJD was it was a daytime station, and they'd go off the air relatively early. That go off, yeah, they went off the air. Nowadays, they don't go off the air, they just lower their power. But back then, they had to go off the air. Sure, sure. And so then I would have to listen to DJs from other places, and... Um, I found Mike Hoyer at uh, WHO in Des Moines. And then uh, later I listened to the DJs in, in Nashville, but uh, it was mainly Mike Hoyer and uh, Randy Blake that I really liked. And I thought, boy, that would be fun. I'd like to, I'd love to be a DJ. So when I graduated from high school, um, I applied for, I applied at the Brown Institute of Broadcasting and Electronics in Minneapolis. They had both radio broadcasting and radio engineering courses there. And they would not let me in because of my sight. Mm -hmm. So I just said, well, I got to do something with my life. And I went to Finlandia, who saw me then. And I uh, majored in accounting because they always thought that was an interesting profession too. Well, I was working on a problem one day and my professor at Suomi, uh, Wayne Oleto, came up to me and said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I said, well, I'm going to be an accountant. He says, I, I don't think that's a good idea for you. You know, With those eyes, you're not going to be able to do this very long. Is there anything else that you'd rather do? I said, yeah, I'd love to be a radio broadcaster. Uh, but they wouldn't let me into the broadcast school. He looked at me and said, well, I'll take care of that. I have no idea what he did, <laughs> but I got a letter saying that they would let me into broadcasting uh, classes at Brown Institute on a six-week conditional basis. Huh. So I went there for my six weeks, and uh, I ended up as second in my announcing class and first in my engineering class, and I got my first job in broadcasting at WSWW in Platteville, Wisconsin. The interesting part about that is we're doing this in October of... Uh, 2022 and in on December 31st of this year I will celebrate 60 years in broadcasting unreal 
most of it here, but it'll be 60 years in broadcasting. I worked out in Platteville for two and a half years. Other than that, I've been on the radio of the Copper Country since then, since September of 1964. Yeah, right. So, what age were you when you said you were mimicking these DJs and you said, Matt, I'd love to be a DJ? What age were you? Do you remember roughly? Oh, yeah. Uh, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. And did you hang on to that from age 10, 11, and 12 till 18 till you got denied from that school? I, no, I, I really, I mean, I didn't, I just listened to it. And I, you know, I listened to what they did, how they introed records and, and what they talked about and, and things. And I always thought it would be great, uh, great to be a broadcaster. I, I idolized the guys who were on the radio here, you know, locally, who were disc jockeys. One guy, uh, did a program called Teen Tunes and Topics on WHDF, and I'd go over there and I'd watch him every once in a while hmm. uh, and see what he did when he was on the radio. They had, they had their studios above the Scott Hotel, no, at, at the at Douglas House, rather. And then when WMPL opened in 1957, um, I went there watch them. They were always real nice to me. Uh, let me watch whatever. And then one of the DJs there, Bob Franklin, who was a tech student, uh, uh, decided to start a program called uh, Guest DJ. You know, he had to give a 15-minute slot to any kid who wanted to come in and play his own records. Hmm. Well, back then, most of the kids were playing their uh, rock and roll records. I brought along my old country records. I brought along Tommy Collins and Johnny Cash, you know, the Hank Snow, and he probably wondered, what is going on here? But he played them, and I introduced them, and so on. So that was my first foray into broadcasting. Then one of the announcers at uh, WMPL, his name was John Oakvik, decided that he would try to make some extra money by starting a broadcast school here. Hmm. And I think there were 15 in their first class. I was one of the applicants, and I did not get in. Norm Kosky did, so that was one of the things for the rest of our lives. He always said, well, you got a, I got your broadcasting, you didn't. Yeah. Anyway, and so uh, later in life, of course, uh, he worked for me, so I used to tease him about going backwards. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, uh, I did not get into that broadcast school, but as I say, I did get into Brown in 1961. Sure. Sure. What's the, I guess we can jump around and we can do that, right? But as far yeah, as country I, music. I don't care. I, I think I kind of didn't lead you on a straight uh, linear path either. So Yeah, and that's okay. That I mean, that's the whole beauty of this forum too, right? We can go any yeah. direction. We got no time limits. We can go wherever right. we want. But So uh, I asked you about broadcasting first and country music next, but it did come your your love and passion for country music came first almost right like you said you're at a it young age it did come you first were... yes okay and it came last because i'm still although i am broadcasting so but you know like uh, like i told you on the way over here i've been able to turn my vocation into an avocation i've been able to turn my avocation into a vocation sure sure uh so the country music the love there that that came first then eventually turned into broadcasting but i'm trying to put a timeline what decade when you were growing up were you listening to, was it 60s country that you were listening to when you were growing up or was it what no, was, it was the, 50 when i was growing up i was listening to late 40s and early 50s when i listened to randy blake that was early 50s that was the hank williams era 51 52 53 sure um and uh then when i did the guest DJ slot at uh, WMPL. That was uh, 1957. 
we got I got my first record player in mm-hmm. 1957 in March of 1957. That's when I started collecting records, uh, and that led to I think I have about uh, 3,000 albums left. I've sold about 3,000. Sure. <laughs> and I have I I don't know how many uh, CDs I have now and tapes and so on. But um, so I started collecting them at that time also, but. It was all country, all traditional country. And uh, I've gotten to, I've read a lot about the artists, I've read about the industry and so on, and it was it was originally traditional country music that got me interested. I learned to play the guitar and so on. It was, yeah. It was, okay. It was it music is my passion. Right, right. Hmm. What was that experience that you said that guest DJ spot that was your first ever exposure to actual broadcasting? What was that experience like? Do you remember that? I was really excited uh, when when I got to go over to the radio station to do that. I I was so proud to bring my records in, and he looked at them and he just, whoa, <laughs> this kid isn't bringing in the regular stuff that everybody else brings in. But you know, I got to introduce them. I was I was I was on top of the world. Yeah. That was a pretty sweet feeling. It was. It was great. Yes. Yeah, and that again was pre you going into broadcast school. Oh yes, right? that was 1957. I was still in high school. Yeah, uh, and then you went down that path. You went to Brown. Right. What was that like then? So you got the job then down in Platteville, Wisconsin. Platteville, Wisconsin. You said. Yes. Uh, what were you doing down there? I was an announcer engineer. Uh, back in those days, the FCC required any station that had a directional antenna system to have a first-class license on duty uh, whenever whenever they're using their directional array. So that meant I would be working at night because that's when we were directional. Uh, and it was not what I expected because it was one of those deals where uh, they had a book that listed every song you played, what order it was in, all you had to do was go in, pull out your music and play it in whatever order, they, you know, you could do it. Didn't get much of a chance to do any DJ, but I learned a lot about equipment, and I learned about reading commercials and about uh, the equipment there was old. And they, at that station, they didn't even have any cart machines. They had, all they had was reel-to-reels and turntables. Mm-hmm. So whenever you know they'd have to queue up a, a tape for every commercial, you'd have to queue it up. Uh, you had we had three magnacorders that had to queue up each commercial so during a record when you're playing a record you're queuing tapes and so and then you ran the commercials and did the things and and uh, then we did the news live every hour from the United Press International um, in fact I have a recording of my newscast the night that John F. Kennedy was shot hmm. and it is god awful sure but you know, it was my first job in broadcasting, and I almost got fired at one point because I was supposed to read an ad for Cobb Canning Company, and it came out as Cab Conning Company, and I started <laughs> laughing, and my boss didn't appreciate the fact that I laughed after it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so um, we had a program director there who took me under his wing and helped me in terms of you know how I presented commercials and so on. And uh, I was there from December 31st of 2000, uh, from uh, 1962 to uh, September 1st of 
Okay. I was going to ask, because, yeah, what if you get the giggles or you got to use the bathroom or something like that? You cut to commercial and hope for the best kind of deal or what? Well, some, yeah, if you, if you have to go to the bathroom, it's radio is easy. Like uh, this program director I just told you about, Ed Sealstead, he left the radio station and went to work for a television station in uh, La Crosse. And I asked Ed, well, what's the difference between radio and TV? He says, well, a TV, you can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as he sat up and down in his chair yeah right, right. Uh, but, it's, but it sounds like a juggling act though trying to balance these commercials versus when you're talking versus the music and you get this yep. tape and that tape does it is it always feel like you're one step behind the eight ball when you're doing it that way uh yeah you were always one step behind it was you know and then in the meantime you'd have to run out and check the teletype for news uh check the temperature which was another room or and then you had to take meter readings every half hour FCC, and you had to write down the readings, the five different readings every hour, or every half hour rather. And you had to log whatever you ran, what time the commercials ran, what time the music ran. Hmm. So back in those days, you don't have to do any of that anymore. Right, right. But back then you had to. Yeah, so that, that experience down in Platteville was right. made mainly like equipment knowledge, uh, learning the ropes of, of what to do and learning some of that older equipment, which eventually went away. But right. when did you fall into your groove of like, man, this is it, when you came back up here? Well, uh, the reason I came, when, the reason I came up here is because, I, because as I explained, we had to have a first class engineer on duty at night or whenever the directional antenna system was used. And I ended up working at night seven nights a week sure and it just got to be to the point where i you know i had no days off mm -hmm. so i came home in august of 1962 and i thought i've got to do something or 1964 rather i thought i got to do something about this and i wanted to go to school i wanted to continue my education so i figured well you know if if i can get a job at one of the two radio stations here and live at home, it'd be a lot cheaper, and I can go to school at Finlandia or, well, so many then. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I quit the job in Platteville, got a job at WMPL part-time, and went to Suomi the first year, first two years, and then I went to Michigan Tech. Hmm. All this time I was working part-time at at uh, WMPL until 1966, when I started working full-time at WMPL, and still going to school. Sure. What were you going to school for when you went back to school that time? I was business administration. Okay. I eventually got my degree in, in industrial relations. Sure. If you can imagine. Yeah, right. Uh, but then you eventually went on to own WMPL, is that right? Shortly after that, or what was that timeline? Yeah. Uh, when I came to WMPL, they had much more modern equipment there than we had down in Platteville. They had, they had cart machines and all sorts of stuff. And we didn't have it. I didn't have anything to do with engineering at that time, so that, that was good. I didn't have any use for the first-class license because the station was owned by Fran Locatelli, who was a first-class engineer, so okay. I didn't have to worry about that. So it was interesting coming up here. I still had to read news every hour and, and being a disc jockey. It was disc jockey all this time. And um, they ran a half-hour country show every Saturday morning. It was done by the owner's son, and I thought, boy, I'd love to be able to have that job. Hmm. And uh, when the owner's son left the area, he went to work in Milwaukee. I thought that the that the, the, the general manager would give me that job of the country show. Instead, they canceled it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I thought, ah, geez, there's my chance. Right. Going back just a little bit, when I left Platteville, 
uh, and came home and decided I was going to come back up here. I had actually written some letters, applications to a bunch of radio stations, hoping I could get a job where I wasn't working all the time. One of the stations that I sent a letter to was a country station in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That station eventually did offer me a job, but hmm. I'd already taken the job up here. I often wonder what my life would be like if I had taken that job at a full-time country radio station instead of coming up here where we played middle-of-the-road stuff. Mm-hmm. That could have changed my life a lot. Right, right. Do you look at it as a miss op- missed opportunity, potentially, or do you look at it like uh, well, your life has turned out this way for a reason? I think my life turned out this way for the reason because I would never have met my wife. I would never have been, you know... I. I'm one of those few people that was able to find a, a job in our area. I didn't have to move back here. That you know, didn't have to work my butt off downstate or in some other state just so that I could come back here. Sure. I came. I lived here all the time. Yeah. And I'm one of those. You know, I, I made a decent living here, so I'm very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. So it isn't a missed opportunity, but I wonder really what would have happened had I been able to do that. Maybe I would have been able to accomplish one of my other goals, which I didn't accomplish. I wanted to be a Grand Ole Opry announcer for one night, if, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and I know that my wife used to tell me that I was good enough to be on WSM in Nashville. WSM is the major country station in the country. and uh, Or you should work in the Nashville area. But we liked it here, so we never took that opportunity to try yeah right the eventually i want to touch on that like the missed opportunity side of things but you just mentioned that dream of the uh grand Ole opry presenter right of the of of the host one night did you ever pursue that at all like what would that look like no i no i never pursued that no there but that's one thing that i would like to have done is i'd like to have been a grand Ole opry announcer now you know and, and introduce all the stars on stage i think that would have been just a hoot yeah right the uh have you been to the, you must have been to the grand Ole opry before. Oh, yeah, several times pretty sweet eh? yeah very good yeah excellent yeah i don't listen as much as i used to because i just don't like today's country music sure at all yeah is there ever a, a current hit that does catch you at all or is it pretty much across the board there's there's never oh, a, oh no there's there's something alan jackson does some good stuff george Strait does some good stuff every once in a while you'll find some odd artists like billy currington and god is great beer is good people are crazy sure yeah you know something like that i'll catch my ear yeah but generally i don't like what country music sounds like nowadays right right but i still love the old country and that's why i play it yeah This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Breakwater Federal Credit Union in Houghton, Michigan. Banking with a credit union is ideal because there are less service fees and lower loan interest rates than a regular bank. Plus, they are local and staffed by our family and friends. New members can use the coupon code OBSESSED when they come to open an account and receive $50 in their account. This coupon code expires March 31st, 2023. If you're looking for a financial institution that puts you and your financial health first, be sure to check out Breakwater Federal Credit Union. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. 
As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. No, I was impressed. I've been to the uh, Grand Ole Opry one time, and there were some big names that played, but they put on, isn't it almost every night they have a show? Saturday and Sunday. Or oh. Friday and Saturday, rather. Okay. So, Friday but Friday and Saturday all year, basically, they... Yeah, they do. Plus, okay. in the summertime, they have a show on... Uh, it's a bluegrass on Tuesday and a regular Grand Ole Opry show on Thursdays. Yeah. Huh. I wonder what that would look like. Like, what does it take for somebody to go be a, a guest host or something like that there? Well, I, I don't know. It's probably knowing one of the announcers there... Uh, okay. I know that I got to be a good email friend of one of the announcers there, A.D. Stubbs, but I never never really asked him how I could do that or if there's any way to do that. But sure. He was one of my broadcast heroes. Yeah. Unreal. And Eddie Stubbs, that name rings a bell. He is very knowledgeable in country music. Uh, he has written liner notes for a lot of albums. He's been on many TV shows for this, that, or the other, but he ran an... an an evening radio show on WSM from 7 o'clock until 1 o'clock in the morning for about 20 years until he retired last year. Okay. Huh. Crazy. Very well known as a country historian. Sure. Sure. The, yeah, crazy. No, and, and we, you talked about the, the what would your life have been like or the missed opportunity side of thing, and this ties into the music side of things right now. I'm reading a book, or I just got, or... Yeah, I just got done with a book where... Are you familiar with the, the the rock bands Metallica and Megadeth? Have you heard of either of those two? Yeah. So the one of the guys in Metallica got kicked out of Metallica. There's two stories. Actually, the Beatles and Metallica, they tie together. One of the guys that was in the Beatles early on, and you may educate me, but this is what, something I just read in a book. But one of the guys that was in the Beatles early on was one of the better artists, more professional, uh, but didn't do whatever, you know, a lot of the curricular activities, extracurricular activities that the other guys did, yeah. and they voted him out of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to eventually be thankful that that happened he missed out on fame and fortune and glory but eventually went on to be thankful that that happened because it met his wife had his kids uh had a a a nice life after that that never would have happened if he wasn't kicked out of the beatles in his estimation so he was very happy and thankful for it uh there was a guy that got kicked out of metallica and he was vengeful angry said i'm gonna make the best band there ever was and formed megadeth to go and beat metallica Megadeth is one of the bigger rock bands there ever was. Right. He's looked at as one of the greatest rock figures there ever was, but they were still a fraction, a fourth or a fifth or a a third of what Metallica was. Yeah. So he was very unhappy. Here's this guy who did unbelievable things, but just through his outlook or how he looked at his life, he was unhappy. Whereas the guy in the Beatles was very happy uh, over his lost opportunity. I don't know. So I was just thinking it's interesting, the outlook that you have, like you could look at it as like, man, what, well, I knew, what I, could have been or what couldn't have been, but it's all how you look at it. Well, uh, I, I don't look at, I actually, I'm pretty satisfied with my life. I, I, I was, I've been very, very lucky, um, in my life. Uh, I've been able to do what I left, what I love to do. I've had two women that have loved me. I got great kids uh and and i was able to stay in the area that i that i wanted to stay in and 
I never had a job that I didn't like, which yeah. is very unusual for most people. I've been able to pursue my music. We were, you know, we were the hottest band in the area for a while, the Weekend Cowboy Band, hmm. uh, and uh, I got some great memories from that. And and I'm just, you know, I, I I'm very happy with. I, I have no no hard feelings, no regrets. Yeah, and that's what you said the first time I asked you that, right? But I was just exploring that topic yeah, of right. how do you look at it? How do you? What's your outlook on that? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a song yeah. uh, that was done by an artist that uh, wasn't very popular even in country music, but he recorded. He wrote a song called uh, "Johnny and the Dreamers," and it's about uh, two guys who were in this band called uh, Johnny and the Dreamers, and they were very good friends and uh, they drifted apart because uh, one guy's wife wanted him to have a you know a regular decent job and so on so he went to work working for Ford Motor Company while Johnny continued to play and that's part of the chorus is you know uh, he's talking about uh, even though he, even though uh, he quit the band, now Johnny, st- uh, the the guy still keeps. He's he's thinking about the times when he picking when he was picking guitar and singing harmony and uh, songs and so on, and he's he's still living his life while uh, thinking about it. While Johnny is out there on the road, sure playing. And one of the guys in our band, I felt could do a great job on the road, and he's never taken the, he's never taken the chance to do that, but I think he could have put his mind to it. He could have been an excellent country musician. Yeah, right. But he's getting there too, you know, getting there up in age, so. Mm-hmm. No, it is a funny thing uh, about how far do you pursue something that may not be tangible, right? Yeah. Like for him, like gentlemen that should have right. taken on the road, yeah. maybe not, maybe there's things there that you're unaware of that you don't right. want to pursue, whatever it might be. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. It's hard to know where to go and where not to go. In hindsight, it's the only uh, clear answer, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, there are two. Uh, I actually uh, in area in in times after what we've been talking about, um, there have been events that have that have shifted to give me two different careers. When in 1968, I was working at WMPL, and the news director quit. I knew he was making more money than I was. So I said, I'll take that job. So that's when I started doing news in 1968, and that was my career until 2005. Hmm. And I was recognized with the Michigan Association of Broadcasters Hall of, uh, Michigan Hall of Fame for that. I've received num- numerous awards hmm. for news. Uh, I, was the, I was the news guru of the UP for, for many years. Hmm. Okay, so that part of my career started on a whim because I said, ah, I could, I'll take that job. But then I had to, I knew nothing about it, so I'd listen to radio stations at night, find out where did he get this story? Where did he get the story? How did he get the story? Why did he write it that way? Mm-hmm. And I made, my, I made my mistakes, but you know, I eventually won on, uh, numerous awards. And when Bob Olson and Joe Blake bought WMPL, they had their goal of, matching a station in Moberly, Missouri that built itself as a, uh, we're building a million dollars a year in a town of 5,000, and that's what they wanted to do. Sure. So they were more interested in making the money. They didn't have time to tell me, teach me about news, so I developed my own theories, my own ways of doing things, 
eventually, apparently must have been pretty good because I won a number of awards for that. So that happened on a whim. And as I mentioned on the way over here, the oldies thing also happened on a whim. I was <laughs> I was working for uh, WCCY, and uh, so we were running pretty slim staffed. So uh, I was running a, an, uh, besides doing news, I was also running a daily country show from 9 until 12. And I kind of got bored with playing the same music all five days a week, so I started doing some special things like on Tuesdays, I'd uh, take a, I'd take the current popular hits and flip them over. So I called it Two Shoes Flips. Hmm. So I'd play the other sides instead of playing the popular song. On Wednesdays, we I, I got a syndicated program that we could run in there. On Thursdays, I just said, one day, I'm going to just bring some of my old records in. See what happens. And I played three or four. And all of a sudden, they, I, a phone started to ring. And I played one song by Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton called Genie's Afraid of the Dark. Phones just lit up. That was 1987. I've been doing an oldie show ever since then. Unreal. Mm -hmm. And I was just on a whim to yep. play the oldies, and you've been doing that now still today, right? You're still doing yes, a Saturday morning still oldie do, show? Yeah, Saturday and Sunday mornings in WCUP. Yeah. Unreal. Mm -hmm. And and you've said that. Like, you don't necessarily appreciate modern-day country, right? I don't. Yeah. Uh, to put it to put it lightly and then but you really appreciate the old stuff and then when you were there you got bored with it you were able to mix it up and do this yeah, is right. that how you kept in it excited in the, meantime, as, you... I, in the yeah. meantime as I mentioned for 13 years I was in the weekend cowboy band we sure. were the hottest band around here we did you know some of the current country back then not which is totally different than what it was now but you know, from 80, 1980 to 1994 we were the hottest band around here unreal yeah and you know uh, to show how those two passions work together, I still worked as a news director. I had to be in at radio station at 6 o'clock in the morning. But we were the house band at a place called The Storeroom, which is located where the old, uh, or, which is now what is the Copper Country Mental Health. There used to be a bar sure. called The Storeroom with the, uh, the, the stage had a boxcar. So we'd play there till 1.30 in the morning, and I had to be at work at 6. Sure. Five, six days a week. Now think about that for a minute. Yeah. We'd never do that anymore, but we did. Yeah. And so that's where those two passions mixed. But I was having the time of my life because I could do news, which I loved, and I could do the music, which I loved, and, you know, everything was great. Yeah. <clears throat> Pretty crazy, though. To, I mean, even look back on it and reflect. It was crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. I would never do it again. Really? <laughs> don't have the energy for one thing but even if I do, did have the energy it was kind of stupid to do because I didn't pay as much attention to my kids as I should have then sure and that that is a regret of mine but yeah no I've talked a lot about that I I try to push hard as hard as I can in a lot of things that I do uh, and it's a hard balance I've got three little ones at home and it's a hard, hard to balance that sometimes with knowing how far to push on a professional level versus balancing that with family life that's right it is that's, uh, I know that uh, you did a podcast, and I shouldn't drop names, you did a podcast with Dirk Hembroff, and I don't know how anyone could accomplish as much in 24 hours as he did. Yeah. I think he accomplished more in 24 hours than any human being possible. Sure. He's really good at balancing that side of things, you yeah, said? Yeah, excellent, yeah, excellent, excellent. Huh. Yeah. But, so then, 
eventually too and then actually I, I shouldn't skip too fast over the career side of things you did news director for that long and you you kind of got your own theories and your own ideas behind it can right. you touch on some of those or what was it that separated you from some other people do you remember what things that you tried to focus on well one of the things that uh, I focused on was trying to relate to people no matter where they were and that was so I wrote in a simple form conversational form without sounding uneducated because you don't know if the person you're talking to is in a hospital bed or the driving or in the bottom of a mine shaft at White Pine. And, you know, you, you got to catch their attention and then hold their attention. So you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the, you know, uh, that's, that's how I are communicating what I was writing is the most important part of the job sure uh, once you got your story correct but you know if you're if you're not certain you got what you got correct don't bother with it but please make sure it's correct first sure but uh, I also developed you know some of my own theories in terms of uh, um, the morals of broadcasting <laughs> um, and uh, you know you don't you don't make editorial comments and stories, or you don't slant stories. You write. If you go to a council meeting, you report what they say. That's sure. all you report. Yeah. Uh, you don't tell them what you think they reported, what or how it relates to something else. If you're just there, there's a straight reporter. You report. If you're an analyst, it's a different thing. If you're writing an editorial, it's a different thing yet. But if you're a reporter, you report what happens without any coloring of it. Sure. And uh, that's what was pointed out in most of the awards that I received is the credibility I developed. If people heard it on the radio, they knew that's what it was. Sure. And that allowed me to get information from law enforcement that other people didn't get, get information from university officials that other people couldn't get, uh, simply because people trusted me. Yeah. And that's... Uh, unfortunately, in today's environment, I'm not sure that a lot of people have have trust that kind of trust. Right, right. I was going to say that doesn't seem like anything you see in t- any modern day broadcasting. Right. I'm I'm old school. Yeah. Uh, I really am old school in terms of uh, news presentation, and uh, I mean, I I don't understand why, for instance, a a, a New York Times reporter goes on a TV, cable TV talk show. They shouldn't. Right. Because they should not be discussing a topic that they're writing about because there's your own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I totally disagree with that. Yeah, I think you have to be that way. I yeah. mean, if you like you said, if you're tailoring to sponsors, advertisers, whatever it might be, right. it, it totally ruins the integrity of everything you're doing. That's exactly right. Yeah. It does. And that was, you know, credibility is the most important part of doing any news. If you don't have any credibility, you don't have anything. Like you got one of the TV stations around here now makes so many mistakes, so many stupid, ridiculous mistakes. That they have no way of they're going to build credibility. Yeah. Just no way. Right. And it can be tough. Are a lot of these people running on way smaller budgets than what it used to look like? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, uh, and it was, it was interesting. Um, 
running our own radio station where we allocated the money and how much we always had a strong news department because we felt that was an important part of the upper radio station's uh, commitment to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of stations just they'll just play music and don't don't do any of their own news, but we felt it was a very strong part of what we were doing, so mm-hmm. we always did. Mm-hmm. In fact, I did news for a while at WCUP also, but then the Kiowa Bay Indian Tribe decided not to do news anymore. So sure, that ended that. Right. Right. Uh, but then I was looking to, eventually they had a tribute to you, right? And Bobby Bear yeah. came and played and, right? What was that like? Oh, well, that was a fantastic night. That was, um, one of the, uh, guys who always jams at all the local jam sessions, Terry Hillstrom, uh, had he said he had always thought about doing something to honor me because I've kept traditional country music alive in our area through my oldie shows and by participating in, you know, all the fundraisers that did country music. And he and, and, and another lady got together and put the show together and because she, she felt the same way. So uh, Terry is the one who uh, called Bobby Bear. I hmm. don't know what caused him to do that but or you know whether he uh i don't know if he if he got a contact or what but anyway he called bobby bear and he says well how would you like if bobby bear was part of your show i says what yeah says, yeah <laughs> so yeah that's how and so he came up here and uh, he was real nice and he put they put on a great show so terry and other lady judy brewer um got all they they recruited what they called my friends or I shouldn't say what they call, but they were my friends who I've done music with before. So they did most of the music in the show. Or they did the first part of the show and Bobby Baird did the second half of the show. Yeah. So I would, and that the Rosé Center was, or, uh, was, was packed. I mean, I could not believe it when I, during one of the rehearsals, um, I was told, uh, no, that place is going to be all full. I said, no, it's not. Because I've been a, presentation i'd never seen the place full yeah and it was full for that tribute yeah i cannot believe it it was it was wonderful that's got to be pretty powerful it was it yeah. was it was a really exciting night that night and uh the up commission for area progress named me the up person of the year in 1992 hmm. that awards dinner and uh, and that the uh, tribute show were two of the highlights of my life yeah crazy because earlier you were talking about how you were just loving it. You love the music, the playing the music, the news, the the country oldie show, all that yep. kind of stuff. Did you ever realize that how rare that is to, to look at your life and say, I really love what I do? Oh, yes, very much so. That's why I wanted to emphasize before that I was one of the very few people who had who never had a job they didn't like. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't. I wasn't fantastically looking forward to it every day, like if I had to fire somebody or if there's something I had to do that you know that, that didn't particularly care for but i never had a job i didn't like mm-hmm. and i find very few people could say that right right and and as i say i, I was able to take what i was doing as uh, in radio uh take the music that i was doing as a, an avocation and now that i'm retired so to speak i can use that knowledge and you can continue working in radio i yeah. can, 
I mean, how many how many people who are almost eighty are still working in broadcasting, doing what they want to do? Right, it's got to be very not few. very many. Yeah, even outside of broadcasting, like life in general, very very few people I think are doing what they truly want to do. That's right. But I'm curious for you, talking about your life, you said some of it was happenstance. Do you think you were lucky, or or were you uh, were you hard work? I mean, of course, you had to be hard working. You had to be committed to get to those points. But those the road I that think brought up you there down. Is looking on for me. Sure, you think so. Uh, I think somebody up there is looking out for me. Yeah. Very much so. It's, uh, it's happened in so many different instances where I've been uh, thought that this is going to be not going to turn out well, but it has turned out well. Like um, I had been married for 50 years, well, six weeks short to 50 years, and my wife died, and I was lost. But because he was looking out for me, I found someone who was turned my turned the rest of my life into a uh, different different and positive life so yeah. I, I know that he's looking out for me there i know that he's been looking out for me i said instead of sitting in caning chairs at the mall which i could have been because i didn't have any sight didn't have much sight he has taken care of me all that time sure so yeah i and you know whenever i get in a jam um i look to him and He's there for me. Yeah. Hmm. And you know who I'm talking about. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. No, because I, I, from the outside looking in, I, I look at you and you're saying, hey, I, I, I've, I loved it. I just really, really enjoyed it. And I think that's part of what this is, right, is to find what you're into pursue that because you never know right when you're when you're 70, 80 looking back and you say, what if, you know, yeah. I, I think that's a, a scary place to be potentially, but you can't look back really and say what if, right? I mean, you did it, you lived it. Yeah, I don't yeah. have any regrets about how my life turned out. Right. None whatsoever. Yeah. I think the only thing, because of my sight, the only thing I have not been able to do is drive. Sure. And whereas that has bothered me a lot, and I think my life would have been completely different if I could drive. Yeah. I mean, I know it would have been. Uh, that has not been a hindrance to me because even when I went to cover municipal meetings with my job as a news guy, my wife would drop me off at the meeting and I'd look around and see, who can I get to give me a ride home? Yeah. I never got stuck. Yeah. But I, I'd find somebody in that room and I'd ask, can you take me home? Sure. And I, sure. You know, I never got stuck. Yeah. So it's always somebody. Right. Or if I needed to get somewhere in a hurry and and and. and you know, that my family wasn't around. There's always somebody I could ask to do that. Yeah, yeah. I hated to inconvenience people, but, you know, I, I did, didn't let that stop me. Right, right. What's your thoughts on the future of radio, like the, the broadcasting world? Do you think about that at all? Where it's heading, where it's going to go, what the future looks like? Yeah, well, my I love, I love old AM radio. Okay. Back in the old days, that's all I listened to was AM, and I knew the frequencies and call letters of every radio station and the frequencies and whatever. Uh, but AM radio is, you know, it's it's a it, it's it's like polkas and country music, dying art forms. Mm -hmm. Radio is a AM radio is dying um, because there are so many other outlets, but also because even the people who own the AM stations are throwing them away and trying to pretend that they you know, just, just ignore them. Hmm. Um, but there are still some AM stations in this country that serve their community very well, but you've got to put some thought and effort into it. Uh, 
even though their audio quality is inferior. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I worry about the future of broadcasting because there are so many different other platforms out there uh, that people can latch onto so easily. Uh, a radio station, as far as I'm concerned, has to be live and local. Sure. Otherwise, it doesn't. You know, otherwise, it's not fulfilling the license that it has. You have to relate to your community. If you just bring in a satellite every day and you don't do any local programming, I mean, what you might as well listen to a jukebox. Yeah. And there's a lot of stations that are doing that and. Uh, I, I really fear, fear for the future of broadcasting. Hmm. Especially local broadcasting. Right, right. Uh, I, you know, it's nice that uh, back in the old days, you, could only, you couldn't own 100 broadcast stations like you can today. And that Communications Act of 1996 completely changed broadcasting by allowing you know, big corporations to own stations all over the country. And uh, there are... You know, absentee owners, and they don't really care about the community. They're in just suck up the money they can out of it and go someplace else. Yeah, right, right. Uh, back in the old days, I used to say radio was fun, uh, and it's not fun anymore. It's it's a it's a numbers game. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if you could recreate that. Like, is there certain stations or certain places that are making it where it is fun and it's not just a numbers game? Like, uh, you ever hear the Bobby Bones show? Who? Bobby Bones. He does a show out of Nashville. Bobby Bones. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like they have a ton of fun, but now they, they oh, do yeah. their show, but they sell it nationally. It goes all around to yeah, different right. places, right? So it's not local like what you said, right. but it's maybe they're taking a new age yeah. uh, uh, thing and, and kind of mix it with an old thing where they're having jokes and laughs. and Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's a different form. Yeah. That, um, that's that's more entertainment than information. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I prefer, uh, I listen to WSM in Nashville at night. They have, they have a disc jockey named, uh, Jeff Hogue, who okay. is a good country historian too. And in fact, they were talking about naming when Eddie Stubbs retired and they were thinking about naming Bobby Bowens to take his place, hmm. but they did not they got Jeff Hogue instead. So there, you know, there are still some songwords out there that uh, that are um, following the old traditions. Mm-hmm. WSM being one of them, but even them, even uh, even they uh, have cut back on their, even though they're fifty thousand watts, and get around the country. They have cut back on their weather staff. They have cut back on their news staff. They have, you know, uh, they they make a lot of. St- a lot of stupid automation mistakes that you never would hear, even a small market station, mm-hmm. you know. So, but, but at least they have somebody there 24 hours a day, which I think I've heard that's the only station in Nashville that has somebody there 24 hours a day. Sure. That sure. was one of the hardest things that ever that I ever had to do was when we owned CCY and, and uh, K-Bear and, and The Wolf, and we could technically and legally uh, automate 24 hours a day. And the first night that we closed up the building and everybody went home, I thought, this isn't going to work. Yeah. But it works all the time. Radio stations, you know, when they, they're, they're dark from Friday afternoon to Monday morning. Mm-hmm. 
there's nobody there right right everything's pre-planned and yep scheduled and yep. yeah you know yeah. it's not like it used to be when you you know when when i first started you know with christmas day if you got to have an announcer on the air and christmas day you work christmas day you work new year's day or whatever you know mm-hmm. it you just had to have somebody there all the time it's a whole different ball game than it used to be and it's it's more it was more person personal communication it was more like uh using a local example uh that you'll never have uh, again a situation where uh, like the jan tucker show for instance i don't know if you're familiar with jan tucker sure sure i mean her show she was she was uh a visitor to every house that she was in yeah and he was a welcome visitor, but you don't have that anymore. You know, you have the show does exist now, but it's 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 different. Yeah, it's, you know, she had that bond that you know, like she was she was one of every housewife around, mm-hmm. and she was she could talk to every one of them individually, even though she was talking to thousands at one time. Sure, and that was a mindset that she had. You huh. know, that's a mindset that I tried to teach my announcers too. You know, you're only talking to one person. And think about what radio sounds like on the other side of the speaker. If you have a headache and you're crabby or whatever, they don't care about that. Right. All they care about is what they hear on the other side of the speaker. Yeah. And that's what you should, and and even in what you say, think about, would you say that to your grandma? Mm Mm-hmm. What happens if your grandma's listening to you and you, you know, uh, you got to always look at it from the other side of the speaker. Sure, sure. That's so, one of those things that I developed that we were talking about before. Just didn't really slip, come to my mind at the time. Yeah, and that mindset is, if you had to summarize that, is you're only talking to one person, but just be careful what you say as you're exactly. talking to that person? Yep. Okay. Yep. What do you mean by that, you're only talking to one person? Like, don't worry about what? Well, don't get nervous because you're only talking to one person at a time. Sure, yeah. I mean, if, if you... if. Uh, why should I get nervous if I'm talking to you or if I should talk to, to you know, the, the president? Sure, right. You know, and remember that the president goes to the bathroom just like I do. Yeah. Every day he does. Right. You know, so what, what's the difference? He's a human being just like we all are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and rather than addressing everybody at one time, just, just think of it that you're only talking to one person. Yeah, right. The uh, no, that's something interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about. But the other thing I was gonna ask you too is, do you have any things you can think back on in your many, many years of broadcasting that were unbelievable that happened through broadcasting? I'm thinking about like, are you familiar with the book that I haven't read? The This Is Chance book up in Alaska. The uh, there was a, some form of a hurricane or a earth, a earthquake, I think, right? And all the power went out and there was a broadcaster, a local broadcaster up there that went on li- on live for like five days straight and was basically the the link that held everybody together and would like go on go on air and say, hey, Johnny, your mom's looking for you at, she, at the supermarket, meet her here at seven. Like it was the only way that the whole town was able to communicate with each other and essentially held peace as much could be held. So something crazy like that, not necessarily to that extreme, but is there things that you've seen in the broadcasting world or moments that have happened uh, that are almost unbelievable? Well, uh, when Bob Olson and Joe Blake first bought WMPL, that's what they tried to create. And, you know, they they created an atmosphere where everybody in the audience was part of the radio station. Hmm. Uh, They 
and they control things did things like uh uh snow control central you know they if, if it was a snowy day they get reports from every place and they tell you know that where you this place is open that place is open that place you know this roads are here uh because we had we had cars all over the place it seems you know but uh it was oh we're losing my thought here anyway um yeah, they 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 try to create that uh, that impression that uh, you know that they were the center of things and uh, and you were you were part of it. Sure, sure, but yeah, I there... don't know if I had any you know, any any major. Uh, I mean, we had major stories like the closing of you know closing of White Pine. We had the Ventures story, uh, you know, Ventures. Um, Arrests and uh, you know, the standoff at the Huon Bay Indian community. I mean, I could think of things like that, but you know, that, there was no major calamity. Sure, and even also thinking about outside of calamity, just unbelievable human moments that happen on air that you didn't realize would have happened, and afterwards, like, wow, how did that happen? Well, I remember when uh, one of my fr- uh, when I was first working at WMPL there, we had a fire uh, down the street at the uh, Coliva Cafe. At the, no, it was a coffee cup cafe, yeah. It was, it was, and uh, I was the only one working at night, and I wanted to get something, and I wanted to find out what it's like, so I looked for all the mic cord I could find, just strung it all together, and decided I was going to go down and talk up my way down there and, you know, turn the mic on, walk down, give my own fire report, and walk back to the radio station, which worked great in theory, except for I locked the door. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I had no key to get in. Yeah. So I had to go across the street to get the police to get me in. Yeah. And so what did you have to do? Did you have to keep talking on the Yeah, yeah. All the, I had to keep yeah, I had to keep talking all the time. So you were live on the radio as you were going to get the police yeah, yep, open exactly. the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, we also you know, I learned a good lesson in my first job when I was working in Platteville. We had an accident that was not very far from the radio station, and I found out the names of all the people who were killed in the accident, and I put them on the air without notifying the family or anything. Whoa! Sure. Yeah. No, that was not good. Right. <laughs> but Yeah. It's a tough part, hey, about anything, releasing it to the public. Yep. Live, not live, right? You don't know until you get it out there, right? How right. mistakes the, that you might have made or whatever, right? Well, you know, yeah, and the rules have changed so much too because I used to be able to announce the, you know, names. Of, uh, I used to be, when there was a fire at somebody's house, it was no problem to put the names of the people whose house it was. Sure. If there was somebody in an accident, I'd have both names, all the people who were involved in the accident. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I know some departments don't give that information, but sometimes it's just a matter of the people who are on the air don't take the time to check. Sure. Uh, t- too often today, news uh, is what people give you, not what you find yourself. Right. You know, there's there's proactive news and there's just reactive news. Too much of the, you know, I, I used to dig my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the future is, hey, and, and like it is. I mean, it's, things have been evolving and changing forever, right? They've gone from, uh, again, early time, it would be books to radio to whatever it might be, right? So things are always changing and evolving. So the fact that broadcasting might be changing, but it still feels like it doesn't matter what the medium is, you still need to have those core, like you said, the integrity side of it, yeah, right? right? That you just aren't finding. Right? Well, just, just take, for instance, uh, 
election coverage, election night coverage. One of the things that I really used to enjoy was election night coverage because uh, it was a time when everybody at the radio station cooperated and did something. We had people at the Houghton County Courthouse, Berger County Courthouse, Keweenaw County Courthouse to get information. They'd feed them into me and two election uh, analysts. Mm -hmm. And you know, as this precinct came in or as that precinct came in, uh, then we could, you know, figure out, okay, well, there's uh, only one precinct that's missing out of Houghton County, out of um, Houghton County District 2, but that could change the election results. But, you know, we have the analysts who could talk about all that stuff. Now, the county clerks don't don't release any information until the end, until they get everything. Mm -hmm. So here's the Houghton County results. So, so my point being that we used to be able to have a very interesting and, and uh, election night coverage where we'd talk about the election results as they came in and talk to the newly elected representative, newly elected commissioner or so on. No, you can't do that because you get it all at once. Sure. So for, we've been doing election coverage on, on the Wolf, for instance, for since 1980. Uh, and this will be the first year that they won't be doing it. Yeah. Simply because, not that they don't want to, simply because it's, it's unfeasible to do it because of the technologies. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way anymore. Right, right. So those are, you know, those are changes that are happening that you don't even realize until you get to the point where, how am I going to do this? And you can. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. But it does feel like you caught a window, right? Like you. Yep. Absolutely right. Like it was never like that till you got into it, and it probably will never be like that now that That's you're right. out of it. I lived right? at the right time. Yeah, I am living at the right time. Right. Don't put it in the past tense. Right. <laughs> yeah, because again, I mean, what was radio like? The in the I guess I suppose there's its own world of radio, right? From 1900 to 1950. Uh, right? Radio first started in 1920. Okay. Celebrated its hundredth anniversary in 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 2020. Sure. But again, it was probably on the uphill climb till you got into it and uphill, uphill till yep. eventually what, that's mid nineties right. or two thousand sometimes? Yeah, till, well, till 1996, I, I would say. When, when, that's when the Communications Act came in and okay. changed everything. And that's when all the big firms could buy up yeah, all right. over the place. Yeah, eh? That's when that's when people started, uh, all those companies started putting together conglomerates and the only thing that mattered was the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Right. Huh. No, we... Uh, the, on the on the classic country music side of things, I told you that like on Saturdays, my dad would have it on. We'd be listening to your show, listening to classic country. But me, my brothers, cousins, whatever else, we'd be you know even playing it on our iPhones or whatever else. Put on co country music, and we'd have contests: who can name the artist, who can name the song the quickest. Uh, and I, it was decent. My bro younger brother's even better than I am, and my cousin Levi's better than I am too. But still, we'd have these contests about who could name Eddie Rabbit. Here's the song, whatever it would be. You know, it was. Yeah. It, it's it's a different age. That music in general, it's it's fun. It yeah. Well, so to me, so, so much of what comes out of Nashville today sounds the same. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell, you know, who it is. But back then, each artist had their own identity, and they don't anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, I, most people don't realize that the music that I play on my show is my own. Mm -hmm. belong, it's none, none of the radio stations, that's my own my own collection. Huh. Um, when I started in 1957 collecting records, you know, that's that's what all grew, and it's grown from there. And I, I still, when I buy music, I buy old music. 
that's been, that's been put on CD. And yes, I would much prefer the sound of uh, vinyl, but uh, vinyl you get scratches and you can ruin a you can ruin a record in a big hurry and whatever. I, it's a lot easier for me to kind find cut sixteen on a CD than it is to find the cut on a, an album in order to play it on the air. So sure. I mean, a lot of radio stations don't even have turntables anymore. But yeah, right. They don't, they would, don't even know what it is. But um, all the things that I do, I do at my home studio, um, and I uh, uh, I prepare most shows. But some I don't. Some are just at the, you know, top of my head. That's mm-hmm. another thing that was another thing that I was proud of during my uh, during my time in broadcasting was my interviewing technique. Because uh, the most important part of an interview, most important thing when you're doing an interview is listen. Not what you say. Listen to what they say. Because just so much of what makes a good interview is trailing off what they had said. Right. I remember very vividly, I sent a, a reporter up to the uh, to Copper Harbor one night because the governor was up there and I had something else going on personally that I couldn't go, so I wrote up a bunch of questions. All he did is ask the questions that I had given him but didn't listen to what the, what the governor was saying. He could got keyed off what he said for a lot of other information. Yeah. You know. So you, the most important part of doing an interview is listening. Mm-hmm. So I hope you've listened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I try to. That, yeah. That's the reason I don't pre-plan any of this. Well, you yeah. know, part of the problem with doing an interview with me is I go, I have a tendency to wander all over the place. My mind does that all the time. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I've given you anything you could use or not. Well, I think so, for sure. I mean, you've confirmed some things and given me some new things and stuff to think about, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I could, uh, people, one of the things that people like about my uh, oldie show is that I give information about the artist or the time that it happened or, you know, where it was recorded and so on. And the wonder of words, you get all that. Well, number one, I grew up with it. So most of it is in my head. Yeah. But, I, but I get also have some books that I could look to, but most of it comes from my head. It's only because I was interested in it. Yeah. And I've been interested in it. Right. You know, and I still do. You know, I still uh, try to play guitar, although I have arthritic fingers, but uh, sing and play, and uh, even though the, the band, uh, we quit the band in 1994, we st- I still have done uh, stuff at the E.B. Holman School, Jamboree, the, you know, the, the Chassel School, Jamboree, we played some stuff at the Houghton Beach and so on, so I, I could still do that. Hmm. And now with my second uh, love of my life, um, she sings too, so we were able to do things together. Yeah. So that's why I say he was looking out for me. Right. Right. The you know it's fun to hear about fun to hear about how it all worked out and all that kind of stuff. But I've got one more question. Unless you've got anything else that we should cover that we didn't cover that we didn't talk about. No, uh, I, I wander all over the place. I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure how you're going to put this together. No, this is perfect. I typically pretty minimal editing how it is how the conversation is and that's yeah. what it is just a conversation right wherever it yeah, goes from there right. is no problem but yeah. I've, I'm curious if you have and it's an impossible question maybe is a favorite song favorite record is there something that stands above the rest for you personally uh, favorite song and favorite record are two different things yeah uh, my favorite song of all time is a song called uh my coronation day 
Who's it by? Justin Tubb. Uh, and uh, my favorite record. That's a good question. Maybe, I think maybe uh, Ray Price's um, uh, Heartaches by the Number because it has everything in it. It has st steel, fiddle, guitar, harmonies, everything takes a good country record hmm. is in that song. Right. And then, okay, well, I appreciate those answers. I'm going to go listen to those. Uh, the My Coronation Day, you said, and Heartaches by the Record. Okay. Uh, coronation day you probably have to find on the internet yeah okay hmm. i'm gonna do some sleuthing see what i can find but actually i do have one more the one one other one that i had thought of before was music for you you said it had a lot of meaning for you like since a, a real young age right and i think it does for a lot of people but like for me i'm trying to think of when i hear a song that just hits i get the goosebumps uh, it's there's something about it. It moves you. Maybe it's the time of your life in that moment, or maybe it's just the music itself, or whatever it might be. But have you thought about that? Like, what is that? Why does music hit you at that perfect moment? And I guess I got a follow up for question for that eventually too. Yeah, I have thought about that, and you're re basically talking about uh, the reason I continue to do this show. I enjoy sharing for one thing, but um, I try to bring back a, a a good memory. That's why I play insist on playing the the hit version of a song okay not a remake or a song by somebody else uh, i like to play the original hit version so that people because there are there are songs there are records that i could when i hear them it takes me to that place in time yeah i can feel the sun i can feel the the wind i can you know i know what i was doing at that time there's many songs like that. And I think everybody has that. That's mm -hmm. why I try to keep uh, playing recordings mostly that will bring back memory. Sometimes I'll pick out something that's just good country record. You know, probably maybe people haven't heard but would enjoy hearing. But mostly I try to play songs that will bring back a memory. Okay. Like I can, for instance, uh, if I every time I hear Everly Brothers Wake Up a Little Susie, I can feel myself in my parents' old 53 Chevrolet sitting at what was then Houghton Beach with my sisters getting ready for a picnic. Yeah. And it, everything is right there. Right. You know? It's a good time in my life. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So I was going to ask you too, that happens, or, or, or how, do you, how do you say this? Because you live in that world, that music world, where a song, even sometimes I'm thinking about the new song where you've never heard this before. Well, it can be an old song, but either way, is the amount of times that that, like the rate at which that happens to you personally, does that go down over time? Like you're listening to music all day, every day. Do you numb to the point where these songs don't make you feel the way they used to make you feel? I worried that that would happen. I really did. But uh, it, it has not happened to me, uh, even though we have, we listen to country music overnight even um, on overnight stations or on, on the iPod because uh, she likes to have a sound on some in the in the bedroom and I, I that never bothered me but she has to have some kind of sound mm -hmm. so we have country music we listen to country music almost all day every day right and so I was afraid that you know that that would uh, disturb what I was trying to do with my show yeah but so far it has not Sure. 
and I could still, or looking at the other way, I'm not sure if this is what you're trying to ask, is if I hear something new, if I find something new, can I still get excited about it? Yes, yeah. I still can. I'll sure. find something I hadn't heard before. Oh, hey, this is great. I got to find that. Yeah. I found that just yesterday, a song I heard huh. that, that, that I hadn't heard before. First thing I did went, went to look and see if on YouTube, see what album it was in. Yeah. Then I started looking for the album, and I found it. Unreal. And I was able to find it, you know, and I was able to find an album that had it on, on Amazon and bought the, you know, that's the thing that's different now. You don't have to buy the whole album. You just buy a, buy a track. Mm -hmm. That's that's wonderful. I used to hate it at first. The only problem with that is it's in MP3. It's not in full audio right. quality. But everybody's listening to MP3, so it doesn't bother me that much. Yeah. And my hearing is deteriorated, so... Doesn't make any difference to me. I used to have a great stereo system. I don't anymore. Cause I listen mostly to MP3s anyway. Yeah, right. Hmm. Well, it's fun to hear about. I appreciate the you breaking down the history, hearing about the 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 ups, the downs, and and what it's meant to you. And it sounds like it's mainly been up something that you've really, really appreciated and enjoyed. Yep, I have. Uh, I really have enjoyed life. I've enjoyed the broadcasting here. I've enjoyed the people that I've met. And uh, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting parts of working in radio is that people have their own vision of you. You know, they think they know what you look like. <laughs> and I've noticed when people see, look at me, and some people just the expression on their face will tell you. But uh, one lady ran, come up to me and says, "Are you really Dick Storm?" And I said, "Yeah." She says, "You don't look anything like how you thought you looked like." And I wanted to ask her, "What did you think I looked like?" <laughs> But I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you never know if it was a letdown or a surprise. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't know what people expect that I am. Yeah. No, it is funny. I could see that. I mean, Dirk talked about that as well, right? The the voice behind. Oh yeah, the he did mention behind. it. Yeah. 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 Unreal. But no, Dick, I really appreciate it. You breaking it down, sharing the stories. It's fun to hear about and fun to hear the history. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Yeah, for sure. That takes care of our third double play of the day today. It takes care of our show. I hope that you've enjoyed what we've done today. Remember, if there's something I can do for you, email me at dstorm at up.net or write to Dick Storm, 939 Lynn Street, Hancock, 49930. And I'd appreciate it if you could avail yourself of the businesses that advertise with us because they're the ones who keep us on the air. Remember what Ernest Tubbs said, be better to your neighbor and you'll have a better neighbor. And for our song of inspiration, let's go back to the Loretta Lynn catalog, shall we? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. The Eagle Country Hall of Fame is an MJET production.
Now here's an example of a typical closing for Dick's oldie show. <laughs> 